Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for such wonderful people that seek to uphold your will, seek to live and love joyously who you are and what you desire for their lives. Father God, as I get ready to preach, Holy Spirit, guide me, keep me, that this would be a time of true understanding as you pass through all of us, open our hearts, our souls, our mind, so that we may be a people who listen. As I preach, may I decrease and may you increase, Lord Jesus. May they see not just my frail words, but see the power and the glory of the Savior who knows no bounds, who seeks to reach all of us, to have us in His love, desires not one person should fail, should perish in this task, but that all should come to the saving salvation of Him, you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. We praise you. Give you the glory for all these things. Pray your blessing on this service, this blessing on this day. For the many churches around the world who meet, and for those who have suffered tragedy last night, we pray their blessings and their mercies, that they are a faithful witness, even unto death, that we live for a Lord who does not find himself bound by death, but defeats it everywhere. Lord, thank you. We praise you. In Jesus Christ, holy name. Amen. Uh, this morning, I'd like to talk to you about identity. I want to introduce this as you think about your identity. Who are you? Have you ever thought about that? Who you are? When someone asks you to describe yourself, could you please describe yourself to me? What's the first things that usually come out of our mouths? Now, when I think about it, and I've been asked this quite often, I always think, well, shouldn't it be something I do? Shouldn't that be it? Shouldn't that be where I find myself? Like, what do I do? Isn't that what you're really asking me? And the more we think about it, maybe that's the way we all kind of feel about it too, right? What they're really asking you is, what do you do? What do you do with your life? And if you're like me and you're constantly questioning, what is it that I do with my life? Maybe you find yourself saying, I'm not sure. I have shows that I like, and I like certain people, my wife being one of those. Is that what you mean? I don't think so. I don't think so. We come to a day like Mother's Day, and we think, mothers. Do we have a definition for that word? Someone who brings life of someone into the world. I think that's a fair, simplistic one. But I think that also doesn't go far enough, maybe. When we start to think about identity, who we are, what we do, what we are going to do, what our purpose is in life, it kind of feels like maybe we're left in a very big hole of where is this going? And so I want to submit to you that I think society defines you that way, by what you do, who you hang out with, and maybe more to the point, what you possess. Maybe some of us would say, well, I have a college degree, I possess a degree, I have a nice house, I have a nice house, a possession, a nice family, not a possession, but kind of possessing. We find ourselves labeling things we own or things we have rather than who we are. And so when we come to a day like today, and we have a lot of things we say, we 
We feel sadness for those mothers who have lost children this last year. We think of more sadness for those who were going to be mothers and then had miscarriages. We think about those mothers who can't have children. We wonder why. Why? And so I think primarily it's because of the way we do identity. We seek to be a people who are something... But ultimately, we find that we're stuck in this mire of taking definition from the outside world. You know, you think, well, that, that man over there, he's a lawyer, or he, he's a doctor, or she, she's a veterinarian. That's who she is. But she's not. She does veterinary practice. He's a doctor when he's clocked in. Was he when he's home? I mean, I guess some doctors would probably say I'm still a doctor because my kids still get sick. Oh, that makes sense. But ultimately, when we come to Christ, we're told something different. We're approached with a different reality. And the different reality is this. Jesus says, first and foremost, you are mine. You will find who you are in the midst of that foundational fact, who he is. If he is your savior, he's your Lord, then first and foremost, you are a Christian. Well, if you're a Christian, then everything you are must stem out of that. It must find its base and find its purpose and be built upon that rock. Or whatever else you identify as will become your foundation. So I think about that, and I think about the way sometimes we talk about parenting. Mothers. Have you ever had a bad day as a mom? I think about being a dad, and I think, no, never. That's why. Yeah. How about those times you lose your cool and you're like, you're going to go to your room until you're 18. I don't want to see you until then. It doesn't work. They come back five minutes later. When we think about that, well, we've had these failures. As a mom, I failed as a mom today. If your identity is as a mom, then of course you did. And it's a systematic failure if you failed as a mom that day, if that's your sole identity. But you see, in the freedom of Christ, what you see Jesus saying is, in this life I've called you to follow me. And in that, I know that you will stumble, you will fall, but every step along the way I will keep picking you up and we will keep walking together. You are a mother by virtue of being first a Christian. And if that's so, then you can't really fail as being a mom, but you can stumble. It won't ruin you. You can get back up again. But if your whole identity bases it on that one fact, what you do, who you work for, those kind of things, rather than in who you rest in, there's going to be a lot of problems. And I want to talk today about who do we rest in. To know him is the title of that sermon. Uh, if you will, John 17, verse 6. If we're going to have our identity in someone, we need to know who that someone is. Verse 6 starts, I have made known your name to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. They have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them. And they have received them and know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Now there's a lot of gives in that little section. 
A lot of thems, a lot of yous, a lot of me's. A lot. Okay? We're going to unpack it real kind of slow. First thing, Jesus shows us God. You want to get one main point out of those three verses, that's the main point. Verse 6 says, I have made known your name to those who you gave me from this world. What's in a name? You ever think about that? What does he mean by you made or I made your name known? What does he mean by that? If we go back throughout the Old Testament, you kind of find yourself always thinking, they always call him God, they always call him Yahweh, Jehovah. They call him these epic, majestic names. And you all the way back, well, how does God describe himself? And God says, I am that I am. And you kind of think about that, and you're like, that doesn't help us one bit. But it kind of does. You see, Moses wanted a name. He wanted a title to give to this God that met him. The burning bush. What am I supposed to call you? How am I supposed to describe you to people? And you see, this is an ancient practice. When you name something, you not only assert a power over it, but you also describe it with that name. When we think about that the way we do things, and we really, uh, I don't know if we do that too much with kids anymore. Maybe we do. But we don't often look at them and think, you're definitely a Carl. Sometimes it doesn't feel like the names fit each other, but that's, that's neither here nor there. But for God, we need a name that fits, right? You can't just go around calling him just something simple. It needs to encompass who he is. And God says, what you're going to tell people is, I am that I am. And that actually describes God pretty good. Because what he's really saying is, you do not get to describe me. I am exactly who I am. I need no description other than that. He's saying that he's so other, he's so unique, that there is nothing you can relate him to that's going to properly, properly do it. And when we think about that, what he's really establishing here is he's something so different from anything you've come before that you've ever understood before that he's breaking something. He's breaking into reality in a whole new way. So here, Jesus says, I have made your name known. So if a name encompasses a character, especially God's character, if you want to describe a deity a certain way, and oftentimes in the pagan world, their deity names describe something about the deity. He is a God of destruction. He is a God of life. He is a God of chaos, of whatever. It describes who that deity is. And here God says, I am that I am. I exist and I am completely other. And then Jesus says, I've made your name known. Then we got to think about that. What does that mean? That means if you look throughout Jesus' life and his ministry, he's literally telling you and describing to you who God is. And he doesn't do it with names. He doesn't do it with a bunch of titles. He does it with a literal life. He lives out a reality in which this is what God looks like. So making it known means bringing fullness to who God is. And here he says, they were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. You gave them not only to me and I've made your name known to them. 
but then ultimately I've passed on all that I have to give them. They have it. Thankfully so, because we're reading the Gospels, right? And here in John, John got this passed to him by Jesus. And here in the midst of this, we know exactly who God is because of the way these disciples talk about Jesus, because ultimately, who is Jesus? Jesus shows us who God is and what God wants because He is God. So we don't walk with a Savior who just has a lot of really good ideas about how life is. We're literally walking with a Creator who created life and shows us that. So when we have our identity in Christ, we're actually trying to get back to what the world actually should be. We're trying to claim that there's a reality that we've missed for a long time, and that first reality is what Jesus says life is like. And to do that, we have to know who He is. Um, I worked with a guy, and that sounds crazy, I know, but I did. And uh, the interesting part was he was an older guy, and he kind of he graduated the year I was born, and. He always said I was really young, and he couldn't believe I'd, he had to work with somebody so young. I'm not young anymore, but at one time I was. And he had a son, and this guy, he had an earring in his ear, and he was about my height, a little bit broader, more muscled, because he had obviously taken better care of himself. And uh, his kid was hilarious, and I got to work with this kid too. And one of the things I found out was, he goes, the really weird part about my son is he tells his friends that I've been to prison to scare them before they meet me. And I'm like, are you serious? And he goes, yeah. He's like, I, got, I got an earring in. I always like to have my earring in. But he's like, I guess I'm gruff. And I'm like, yeah, you're gruff, dude. Like, he was gruff. He was a gruff kind of guy. Like, he always sounded way more like upset than he always was. He's kind of happy most of the time. He's gruff. And his son always told all of his friends, like, just be cool around my dad, okay? Like, he doesn't want to go back to prison, all right? And it's just like these weird stories. And he's like, so I just kind of roll with it anymore. I don't really think about it. I'm like, what do you mean you roll with it? And he goes, they meet me, and I'm like, yeah, what's going on? And like, they'll like reach out there, and he goes, I don't shake anybody's hand, not since prison. And it's just like this whole deal he does to people. And it's his thing, or whatever you want to call it. And I find it funny because once you get to know him, He's really super nice. Just a really nice guy, but he just loves to be a part of that. And his son just thought that was hilarious. And these kids won't talk to him. They used to come into where we worked and they would like avoid him. Go out of their way to avoid this guy. Because they didn't want to like talk to him. They want to get cornered. Who knows what he's going to do? He's been to prison. And it was humorous. And the more we think about that, the more you, it all stems from the fact they really don't know him. They just heard somebody talk about him, right? And there's a difference between knowing someone and then hearing somebody talk about someone. And as we go through this scripture, we often think Jesus is describing God to us so that we won't be scared of him anymore. You got it in your head that the God of old, the Old Testament is out to murder everyone all the time, and he's really displeased with everyone. And we really think that Jesus is there to kind of settle us all down and do the opposite of what this kid did for his dad and actually convince us, no, no, he's actually pretty cool. He doesn't want to kill you. He actually wants a relationship with you. And what I argue is the case is that's not at all what Jesus is doing. Jesus isn't doing that at all. 
Jesus is actually saying that you in the Old Testament, when you look back upon that story, you insert those things about who God is. Actually, God's always been loving and kind. He's never once wanted to lose anyone. He wants you to have a relationship with Him. And we all say, oh, come on, Jesus, you can't be serious. And He says, actually, yes, because I am part of that unity. And I'm telling you, I don't hate you. In Jesus, we have this picture of love, but we often always stagger it against the Old Testament's picture of God's hate. You know what one of the most common words in the Old Testament is? Loving kindness. And you know who it always is usually used with? God. God. It's always describing God as His loving kindness going throughout. And so this picture isn't so much that Jesus is coming to help us calm down about meeting Dad. It's actually about Jesus saying, I'm actually telling you exactly who God is because I am Him. I've come to you. It's more than just some dad sending his son on an errand. It's literally God coming to us. And then in the midst of this, he says, I made your name known. Now these disciples know that they're not worshiping a God who's far away and distant and who really is just waiting for them to screw up. But they're worshiping a God who was among them and welcome them into a relationship of who He is. See, God's not after you to get you. He's after you because He loves you. And Jesus had to walk us through that. And how reality really is, right? Because we're pretty dead set that there's a certain order to society and the way things should work. And Jesus kept having to repeat Himself, actually, no, that's not the way it works. That's not the way reality is. But we'll get to that in a sec. Christ reveals who God is in the fullest way we can know. And in fact, it seems that God seems very personal, very relational. He wants a relationship with you, but He also is very personal. He wants you to come to Him, always. He's not a God far off, He's a God close and near. Well, the second part, verse 7, 8. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them. And they have received them and know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Now catch what's going on here. I just dropped this into this context. But let me give you some. This is a prayer from Jesus to God the Father. In this prayer, in this moment, you have Jesus living out what he just got done teaching all the disciples this whole ministry. That God really wants to hear from you, but also God really wants to walk with you, and we can do that. And then you have in Jesus right now, right when this is happening, Him saying, and let me show you. I'm going to pray to God the way I've told you constantly to do it. And in here you have appeals, you have personality, you have love, you have joy, you have all these things. You even have hope. And I think sometimes when we talk about deity, especially Jesus, we forget hope. But Jesus had a lot of hope for the way we were, the way we could be, the way we should be. And I think that stems from the hope of a father, right? The hope of a mother, right? We raise our children hoping they're going to do great things. 
hope being. The difference being God knows, but doesn't make the hope any less. Now, so Jesus shows us who God is and what God wants because he is God. Then here, verse 7 and 8, Jesus is actually speaking as God, he says. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I've given to them. He's stepping into the fullness of that deity. That literally what you gave me to say, what you gave me to do here, I've done. And here in this midst of this prayer, if you go on and you go through, you find that there is unity and purpose and intent here. Here's another aspect of our God that we often don't think about. His relationality with himself. The Father to the Son to the Spirit. Complete union. Now, I'm not going to go into a diatribe about the Trinity. That's a different thing. And you need a longer sermon, and I won't do that to you today. You have me back, though, I will. No. But, but with this, you have here unity and purpose and intent. You have in God unity. In a world full of chaos, doubt, fear, violence... Here in the midst of God, there is none of that. There is peace, unity, community, love. Love always exists in a relationship. And here is the perfect love in relation to God. Here he sets and says, just as you gave me this word, I gave it to them. A faithful messenger. Think of all the different parables Jesus tells about messengers who sent their son to be a messenger. Remember the one about the vineyard? What they do to the son? They killed him. Because they thought if they killed the son, then the vineyard would be theirs. An echo of things to come for Jesus after this prayer that he gives. But here, Jesus' words are reality or the truth. Look at that verse 8. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them and know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Jesus isn't content that they just understand that this is what God would want them to do. This is how God wants the world to be. He actually wants them to know that God actually thinks that they're going to be able to go about it. Okay? And if we're already at John, let's back all the way back up to Matthew. You want to go to Matthew with me? Matthew 5 starts this. The Beatitudes. Jesus sees the crowds. He went up the mountain after he sat down. His disciples came to him. There he began to speak and he taught them. I won't read you the Beatitudes, but let me kind of usher in a synopsis view of this. You have heard that it was said in ancient times, you shall not murder. Whoever shall murder will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or a sister, you will be liable to judgment. If you insult a brother or a sister, you will be liable to the council. And you have heard that it was said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said of those in the ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all 
either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool. And you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. You see what he's doing? He's telling you the way you think reality is, and then he's pushing it through. But I say to you that this is actually how it is. You see, we think that the word that God wanted to give us was, I'm unhappy with you, stop it, or I'm going to send you to hell. And actually, God's been more upset about the fact that we actually construe that reality is built on chaos, violence, and evil. And that that's really the way things are in the world. And God's saying through Christ Jesus, actually, the world was never going to be this way. It was going to be different. And now I'm ushering this in. And in there, he tells the disciples, I've taught you everything. And the one part, what does he say? He says, now I'm not going to call you servants any longer. I call you friends because you know me. Here in the end of this little section in John, he talks about now they know in truth. This is what he's talking about. They had walked with him through all this teaching. And they literally knew now what God wanted them to know. The life and the ministry of Jesus Christ wasn't just a crucified cross. It was a whole ministry. We start at Christmas with the birth, and we go all the way through Easter with the resurrection, and then we come to next week, Pentecost, where Jesus says, now you're going to live this out, and the Holy Spirit's going to be with you always. We can't do this if we don't know who Christ is. I would argue you couldn't be a good father, you couldn't be a good mother, you couldn't be a good woman, you couldn't be a good man, you couldn't be a good child unless your foundation is Christ. But you better have a solid foundation on who Christ is. And right here in this passage in John, you have what Jesus says. You know the teachings that I've given these men, these disciples. They know everything I was supposed to relate to them. Everything. Now they're going to go and do this. They're going to go out and minister in your name. That's what they did. And here we all sit. Because 12 guys listened, understood, and then went out and did what they were supposed to. Not to mention all the faithful women who did a lot of the work. And nobody else would. So here, in the midst of this, Christ speaks God's truth because He is God. And what He speaks is reality. Because once again, Jesus shows us who God is and what God wants because He is God. If you want to be good at what you do and you want your identity to be Christ, if that's what you want to do, and as Christians I would argue that's what we're supposed to do, then reality is going to look different to you. You're going to have to follow Christ. That example was given to us for a reason. Because that's really how life works. You love those who hate you, not because you can love them eventually, maybe to death. Maybe that's what we think sometimes, right? We just really hope we can love them so bad that they'll stop being so miserable. We don't do it because of that, but we do it because that's the reality, how it actually should be. Love will always trounce hate. 
we care for those who don't care for us because Jesus cared for those who didn't care for him. We turn the other cheek not because it's popular or it's smart. It's not. It hurts. If someone hits you once, you really don't want to let them do it again. But it sounds so crazy and it sounds so obscene because it is. Because reality would show us that violence and chaos rule the world. And Jesus shows us that God actually doesn't think that's how it works. So what I'm inviting you to is to literally base your foundation on who Christ is. And Christ is a God who came to us to literally show us how to be. To read his word, to study it, to live it out is literally to go on a journey with someone who knows how reality is. If you would, bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, we praise you. You have done such a masterful job at showing us how it really is. At loving us when we are so unlovable. Continuing to reach out for us when we want nothing to do with you. Lord, we thank you, we praise you. We give you the glory for all these things and we give you the hope of our life, the hope of what's to come, knowing that, Father God, our foundation is you and you alone. Lord, we love you, we thank you. In Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen.